0: This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I'm your host, Mark Naftal. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I will stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning, and lessons to be drawn. This is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, words, words. I delight in the beauty of his language and believe that this beauty we can find truth and how to live a virtuous life. I hope this podcast can help students understand Shakespeare better and how to appreciate his sometimes difficult language. Maybe you can use it to write help help you write papers or study for tests. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions. I would like some help. Let us begin. Last time in Henry IV, Part 1, we saw more interchanges between Prince Hal and Falstaff. And the king, Henry IV, has summoned Prince Hal, um, presumably to help um, deal with the growing rebellion against Henry IV. And Falstaff suggested um, that they they play the interchange between Henry and, and Prince Hal. Uh, there had been talk earlier for an or extempore, or something like that. Uh, apparently, they would they would make up plays and so forth, just as a means of entertainment. This is going to be entertainment, but it begins to take on a serious edge. Uh, we uh, we just began this last time, and so let's pick up where uh, um, where Falstaff, as Henry the Fourth, addresses uh, Prince Hal or Harry, as he plays himself. Falstaff, Harry, I do not only marvel where thou spendest thy time, but also how thou art accompanied. For though the the chamomile, the more it is trodden on, the faster it grows. So youth, the more it is wasted, the sooner it wears. That thou art my son, I have partly thy mother's word, partly my own opinion, but chiefly a villainous trick of thine eye, and a foolish hanging of thy nether lip that doth warrant me. Okay, so Falstaff is making fun of both Harry and how he looks, and, uh, and also his father, uh, Henry the Fourth. Also a little bit of a slur on uh, on Henry's uh, Henry's mother. If thou then be son to me, here lies the point: why, being son to me, art thou so pointed at? Shall the blessed son of heaven prove a mitcher and eat blackberries? A question not to be asked. Shall the son of England prove a thief and take purses? A question to be asked. Um, Okay, so uh, there's a bit of a play there, of course, on Henry IV's own stealing of the crown and uh, and Prince Hal's reputation uh, pretty much self-put on that he is a, a robber, a common robber. There is a thing, Harry, which thou hast often heard of, and is known to many in our land by the name of pitch. This pitch, as ancient writers do report, doth defile, and so doth the company thou keepest. Okay, so pitch there is a tar, a black substance that, that clings to one. This has also connotations of, of going to hell. Um, okay, back to the text. For Harry, now I do not speak to thee in drink, but in tears, not in pleasure, but in passion, not in words, but in woes also. And yet there is a virtuous man whom I have often noticed noted in thy company, but I do not know his name. Falstaff there is going to start speaking about himself. Prince, what manner of man and it like your majesty, Falstaff as king, a goodly, portly man of faith, uh, and a a corpulent, that is, uh, Falstaff admits that he's fat, of a cheerful look, a pleasing eye, and a most noble carriage, and does, I think, his age some fifty, or by the lady, inclining to three score, okay, so Falstaff's old. Uh, probably older than sixty, which is the three score. And now, remember me. His name is Falstaff. If that man be should be lewdly given, he deceiveth me. For Harry, I see virtue in his looks. If then the tree may be known by the fruit, as the fruit by the tree, then peremptorily I speak it. And there is virtue in that Falstaff. Uh, him, him, keep with the rest, banish, and tell me now, thou naughty varlet, tell me where thou hast been this month, Prince. Dost thou speak like a king? Dost thou stand for me, and I'll play my father? Falstaff rising, depose me? Well, or, <clears throat> let me start again. Falstaff rising, depose me, if thou dost it half so gravely, so majestically, both in word and matter. Hang me up by my by the heels for a rabbit's sucker or a poulter's hair. Prince sitting down, well, here I am set. Falstaff, here I stand, judge my masters. Prince as king, now, Harry, whence come you? Falstaff as prince, my noble Lord, from Eastcheap, Prince as King, The complaints I hear of thee are grievous, Falstaff. Blood, my Lord, they are false. Nay, I'll tickle you for a young prince of faith. Prince, as King, swearst thou, ungracious boy, henceforth ne'er look on me. Thou art violently carried away from grace. There is a devil haunts thee in the likeness of an old fat man. A ton of man is thy companion. Why dost thou converse with that trunk of humors, that bolting hutch of beastliness, that swollen parcel of dropsies, that huge bombard of sack, that stuffed cloak bag of guts, that roasted manning tree ox, the pud- with pudding in his belly, that reverend vice, that gray iniquity, that father ruffian, that vanity in years. Okay, so um, uh, Hal is a uh, lambasting Falstaff, uh, but remember, Hal is, is playing the king back to the text, When is he is he good but to taste sack and drink it? We're in need and cleanly, but to ca- carve a capon and eat it. We're in cunning but in craft, we're in crafty but in villainy. We're in villainous but in all things. We're in worthy but in nothing. Okay, we see the rhetorical device Shakespeare frequently uses there with the, the comparison of one thing running to another. Here we have uh, um, good, but to taste sack, neat and cleanly, but to carve a chicken. We're in cunning, but in craft. We're in craft, but in villainy. We're in villainous, but in all things. Uh, pretty neatly done there. We're in worthy, but in nothing, Falstaff as Prince. I would your grace would take me with you. Who means your grace? Prince, of course, Falstaff knows, Princess King. That villainous, abominable misleader of youth, Falstaff, that old white bearded Satan, Falstaff as Prince. My lord, the man I know prince, I know thou dost, Falstaff, but to say I know more harm in him than in myself, or to say more than I know, that he's old, the more the pity, his white hairs do witness it, but that he is, saving your reverence, a whoremaster, that I utterly deny, if sack and sugar be a fault, God help the wicked, if to be old and merry be a sin, then many an old host that I know is damned, if, he, if, if to be fat to be hated then Pharaoh's lean kine are to be loved okay so uh, pretty nicely done there if sack and sugar be a fault God help the wicked Pharaoh's lean kine are that's a reference to the dream that Pharaoh had that Joseph interpreted where he saw seven uh, lean kine that's cows uh, coming up and then uh, and they ate the seven good favored plump ones and and uh, And so the lean ones there in in the dream that Joseph interpreted um, were to stand for the seven years of famine. So obviously a bad sign. So Falstaff, though, flips it and says, uh, well, if if, uh, to be fat is to be hated, then Pharaoh's lean kind, that is famine, are to be loved. Back to the text. No, my good Lord, banish Pito, banish Bardolph, banish points, but for sweet Jack Falstaff, kind Jack Falstaff, true Jack Falstaff, valiant Jack Falstaff, and therefore more valiant being as he is old Jack Falstaff. Banish not him, thy Harry's company. Banish not him, thy Harry's company. Banish plump Jack and banish all the world. Prince, I do. I will. Okay, so the the raillery there turns serious uh, at the end. Uh, Falstaff is pleading uh, to be able to be to stay with the prince, and um, says you can banish the whole world. Uh, if you banish, if you back, if you you banish Falstaff, you've banished all the world. And the prince replies that he does banish the whole world. Uh, and he's going to turn to virtue and uh, put away worldly things, if you will, and uh, put on his, his true glory. So there uh, things turn sudden, suddenly serious there. And that's where the play within the play ends. We hear a loud knocking and Bardolph hostess and Francis exit. Uh, enter Bardolph running, Bardolph running. Part off. Oh, my lord, my lord, the sheriff with the most monstrous watch is at the door. Falstaff, out you rogue, play out the play. I have much to say in the behalf of that Falstaff. Okay, so Falstaff wants to go on and continue to plead uh, with Hal, uh, who's playing the king, but really with Hal in earnest, um, that uh, that he not be banished from him. Enter the hostess. Oh, Jesu, my lord, my lord. Prince, hi, hi, the devil rides upon a fiddlestick. What's the matter? Hostess, the sheriff and all the watch are at the door. They are come to search the house. Shall I let them in? Falstaff, dost I hear how? Never call a true piece of gold a counterfeit. The order essentially made without seeming so. Prince, and thou a natural coward without instinct. Okay, they're again the, the reminding of of what Falstaff said that by instinct uh, he would not he would not strike at the true prince. Uh, Falstaff, I deny your major if you will deny the sheriff so. If not, let him enter. If I become not a cart as well as another man, a plague on my bringing up. I hope I I shall as soon be strangled with a halter as another. Prince standing. Guide thee behind the address. The rest walk up above. Now my master is for true face and good conscience. Both which I have had, but their date is out, and therefore I'll hide me. Okay, so he lets Falstaff... uh, hide behind the heiress again that was a device used frequently in uh, in hamlet and here we see it again the rest he told to, to leave but he wanted for some reason the prince wanted falstaff to hear what was going on um and Hal says now my master's for a true face and good conscience so he's going to have to try to deceive the sheriff but he, he's looking for a true face and good conscience and falstaff replies that at one point he had he falstaff had a true face and good conscience, but their, uh, their date is out. In other words, he can't do it anymore. Therefore, I hide me. He hides. Prince call on the sheriff. All but the prince and, and Peto exit. Enter sheriff and the carrier. Prince. Now, master sheriff, what is your will with me? Sheriff. First, pardon me, my lord. A hue and cry hath followed certain men unto this house. Prince, what men? Sheriff. One of them is well known, my gracious lord, a gross fat man, as fat as butter. Uh, Prince, the man I do he sure is not here, for I myself at this time have employed him. And Sheriff, I will engage my word to thee, that I will by tomorrow dinner time send him to answer thee or any man for anything he shall be charged with all. And so let me entreat you, to leave the house. Sheriff, I will, my lord. There are two gentlemen having this robbery lost 300 marks. Prince, it may be so. If he have robbed these men, he shall be answerable. And so farewell. Good night, my noble lord. I think it is good morrow, is it not? Indeed, my lord, I think it'd be two o'clock. He exits with the carrier. So uh, Hal says that um, he uh, admits that he knows Falstaff, but says he'll send him along. And if he's done wrong, that that he'll answer, that he, uh, Falstaff will answer for it. And uh, we find out it's two o'clock in the morning uh, from the sheriff, Prince. Uh, This oily rascal is well known as Paul's. Go call him forth, Peto Falstaff, fast asleep behind the arras and snorting like a horse. That's a snoring, uh, Prince. Hark how hard he fetches breath. Search his pockets. He searches his, po- his pocket and finds a certain papers. What hast thou found, Peto? Nothing but papers, my lord. Prince, let's see what they be. Read them. Peto reads. Item a capon. Two shillings, to uh, denarii, I guess it's a D, whatever that is. I'm not sure what the British uh, pounds are. Uh, item sauce for item sack, two gallons, five shillings. Item anchovies and sack after supper, two shillings. Item bread, uh, ob. I guess that means uh, nothing. Prince, oh monstrous. But one half penny worth of bread, this intolerable deal of sack. What is there else? Keep close. We'll read it more advantage. There, let him sleep till day. All to the court in the morning. We must all to the wars, and thy place shall be honorable. I'll procure this fat rogue a charge of foot, and I know his death will be a march of twelve score. The money should be paid back again with advantage. Uh, be with me betimes in the morning. So good morrow, Peto. Okay, so he's going to get um, Falstaff a commission, but it's going to be infantry because um, he you knows how, how much uh, Falstaff. hates to to walk, Um, and that uh, 12 score, that's, uh, how much would that be? A score is 20, so it'd be like 250 miles or thereabouts, um, and it would kill him. And um, he promises that he's going to pay back uh, the money that was robbed with interest. That's a good morrow, good my lord. They exit. That takes us to Act 3, and we're back with the rebels. Enter Hotspur, Wooster, Lady Mortimer, and Owen Glendower. So there, looks like they're all together except maybe uh, Douglas the Scotsman. Mortimer. These promises are fair, the party's sure, and our induction full of prosperous hope. Hotspur. Lord Mortimer and cousin Glendower, will you sit down? And Uncle Wooster, plague upon it, I have forgot the map. Glendower. No, here it is. Sit, cousin Percy. Okay, so. Notice how Shakespeare there called attention to the map. He had Hotspur say that he'd forgotten it, so the other character could say, uh, here it is. Uh, nice little dramatic device. They didn't have to pull it out and say, look, I've got a map. Okay, Glendower. No, here it is. Sit, cousin Percy. Sit, good, good cousin Hotspur, for by that name, as oft as Lancaster does speak of you, his cheeks look pale and with a rising sigh, he wishes you in heaven, Hotspur, and you in hell as often he hears Owen Glendower spoke of. Glendower, I cannot blame him. At my nativity, the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes, of burning crescents. At my birth, the, the frame and huge foundation of the earth shaked like a coward. So Glendower is claiming that there were a strange signs uh, when he was born. Hotspur, why, so it would have been done at the same season if your mother's cat had been kidded, kittened, though you yourself had never been born. So Hotspur doesn't really believe in importance. He's saying, let these things happen no matter who was being born. It could have been a cat or it could have been you. Rather an insult to Glendower. I say the earth did shake when I was born, Hotspur. And I say the earth was not in my mind, if you suppose as fearing you it shook, Glendower. The heavens were all on fire, the earth did tremble, Hotspur. Oh, then the earth shook to see the heavens on fire and not in fear of your nativity. Diseased, nat- diseased nature often times breaks forth in strange eruptions. Off the teeming earth is with a kind of colic, pinched and vexed by the imprisoning of unruly wind within her womb, which, for the enlar- for enlargement striving, shakes the old bedlam earth. Beldum? Beldum earth. Not it should be bedlam. I don't know if that's a misprint in this text I'm looking from, or maybe. Uh, Hotspur didn't know it, and uh, Shakespeare's making a little fun of him. It's spelled in this text B-E-L-D-A-M. We use the word bedlam still for like uh, chaos or something like that. It comes from um, the Hospital for the Insane in London, which was called Bethlehem. And over time, it became corrupted to bedlam. But here it's Beldam. Beldam earth and topples down steeples and moss-grown towers. At your birth, our grand earth, having this distempered nation in passion, shook Glendower. Cousin of many men, I do not bear these crossings. Give me leave to tell you once again that at my birth the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes. The goats ran from the mountains, and the herds were strangely clamorous to the frighted fields. These signs have marked me extraordinarily, and all the courses of my life to show I am not in the role of common men. Where is he living clipped in with the sea that chides the banks of England, Scotland, Wales, which calls me pupil or hath thread to me and bring him out that is but woman's son can trace me in the tedious ways of art and hold me in pace in deep experiments. So Glendower continues to, to claim that he's a no ordinary man, Hotspur. And Hotspur's so proud, I don't think he's going to put up with this. Hotspur, I think there's no man speaks better Welsh. I'll do dinner. Actually for Hotspur, that was a pretty mild, uh, Reply, uh, Mortimer. Peace, cousin Percy. You will make him mad. Glendower. I can call spirits from the vasty deep. Hotspur. Why so? Can I, or can any man? But will they come when you do call for them? Glendower. Why I can teach you, cousin, to command the devil. Hotspur, and I can teach thee, cousin, to shame the devil by telling the truth. Tell truth and shame the devil. If thou have power to raise him, bring him hither, and I'll be sworn to have power to shame him hence a while you live, tell truth and shame the devil. Mortimer, come come, no more of this unprofitable chat. Glendower Three times hath Henry Bolingbroke made head against my power, thrice from the backs banks of wine, sandy bottom Severn, have I sent him bootless home and weather beaten back. Hotspur, home without boots, and in foul weather too. How scapes he he How scapes he Oggs in the devil's name? Glendower, Come, here's the map. Shall we divide our right according to our threefold or retain? Mortimer. The archdeacon hath divided it in three limits very equally. Okay, so they're going to go ahead and divide half the kingdom when they uh, haven't even won a battle yet. Um, England from Trent to Severn, hitherto by south and east is to my part assigned. All westward Wales beyond the Severn's shore and all the fertile land within that bound to Owen Glendower. And dear cuz to you, the remnant northward lying off from Trent and our indentures, tripartite, are drawn, which being sealed interchangeably, a business that this night, night might execute. Tomorrow, cousin Percy, you and I and my good lord of Worcester shall will set forth to meet your father in the Scottish power, as appointed us at Shrewsbury. My father Glendower is not here, yet ready yet. No I shall need to help these fourteen days, to Glendower. Within that space, you may have drawn together your tenants, friends, and neighboring gentlemen, Glendower. A shorter time shall send me to your lords, and in my conduct shall your ladies come, from whom you now must steal and take no leave, for there will be a world of water shed upon the parting of your wives and you. Okay, so that's going to be tears. He calls it a world of water. Hotspur looking at the map. Methinks my moiety uh, north from Burton here and quantity equals not one of yours. Okay, that's uh, his share in the kingdom as moiety. See how this river comes me cranking in and cuts. Me, from the best of all my land, a huge half-moon, a monstrous can- cantle out. I'll have the current in this place dammed up. And here the smug and silver trench shall run in a new channel, fairly and evenly. It shall not wind win- with such deep indent to rob me of so rich a bottom here. Okay, so Hotspur is going to change the course of the river so his share will be greater. Glendower, not wind it shall, it must, you see it doth. Mortimer to Hotspur, Hotspur, yea, but mark how he bears his course and runs me up, with like advantage on the other side, gelding the opposed continent as much as as the other side takes from you. Wooster, yea, but a little little chain charge will trench him here, and on this north side win this cape of land and how he runs straight and even. Hotspur, I'll have it so; a little a little charge will do it. Glendower, I'll not have it altered. Hotspur, well, not you? Glendower, no, nor you shall not. Hotspur spur, who shall say me nay? Why, that will I, Hotspur. Let me not understand you then. Speak it in Welsh. Glendower, I can speak English word as well as you, for I was trained up in the English court. Where being but young, I, I frame it to the harp. Many in English did he lovely well, and gave the tongue a helpful ornament, a virtue that was never seen in you. So, um, um Glendower Dower saying that Hotspur is sort of an insulting uh, fellow. Uh, the Welsh have always been noted for their musical abilities, still are today, Hotspur. Mary and I'm glad of it with all my heart. I'd rather be a kitten and, and cry mew than one of these same meter ballad mongers. I'd rather hear a brazen cannonstick can stick turned or a dry wheel grate on the axle tree. And that would set my, set my teeth nothing on edge, nothing so much as mincing poetry. It is like the forced gait of a shuffling nag. Glendower, come, you shall have Trent turned. Hotspur, I do not care. I'll give thrice so much land to any well-deserving friend. But in the way of bargain, mark, mark you me, I'll calve on the ninth part of a hair. Are the indentures drawn? Shall we be gone? So uh, uh, Hotspur is saying um, that uh, he'd be generous and give everything away to a friend. But uh, when it's a matter of negotiation, um, he will, uh, he will haggle to the end of the, on time on the smallest thing, cavil on the ninth part of a hair. Glendower, the moon shines fair; and you may away by night. I'll haste the rider and, withal, break break with your wives of your departure hence. I'm afraid my daughter will run mad, so much she doteth on her Mortimer. He exits. Mortimer, Fine, cousin Percy! How you cross my father? That's uh, Glendower. Hotspur I cannot choose sometimes he angers me with telling me of the mould warp and the ant with the dreamer merlin and his prophecies and of a dragon and a finless fish a clipped-wing griffin and a molten raven a couching lion and a ramping cat and such a deal of skimble scamble stuff as puts me from my faith okay so Hotspur is saying he's had it with uh, glendower's um, talk of all the natural portents and merlin uh, the magician of course from king arthur And he sort of Hotspur sort of uh, scrambles, if you will. He calls it a couching lion and a ramping cat. It's usually a ramping lion and a couching uh, cat. I'll tell you what. He held me last night at least nine hours in reckoning up the several devil's names that were his lackeys. Okay, so um, Glendower's claiming that he can get all the demons to do his will and he has names for them. I cried, hmm, and uh, we'll go to, but marked him not a word. Oh, he is as tedious as a tired horse, a railing wife, worse than a smoky house. Now, I'd rather live with cheese and garlic in a windmill, far than feed on Cates and have him talk to me in any summer house in Christendom. Mortimer, in faith he is a worthy gentleman, exceeding well, exceedingly well-read and profited in the strange concealments, valiant as a lion, and wondrous affable, as bountiful as the mines of India. Shall I tell you, cousin, he holds your temper in a high respect and curbs himself even of his natural scope when you come across his humor faith he does i'll warrant you that man is not a lie might so have tempted him as you have done without taste of danger and reproof but do not use it oft let me entreat you so mortimer is saying that glendower actually put up with a lot from uh, from hotsford that he wouldn't from normal men but then he uh, he asked him please don't do it anymore wooster to hotsford and faith my lord you are too willful blame and since you're coming hither have done enough to put him quite beside his patience you must needs learn, Lord, to amend this fault. Though sometimes it shows greatness, courage, blood. That's the dearest, and that's the dearest grace it renders you. Yet oftentimes it does present harsh rage, defective manners, want of government. Pride, haughtiness, opinion, and disdain, the least of which haunting a noble man. Looseth men's hearts and leaves behind a stain upon the beauty of all parts besides, beguiling them commendation. Well, I'm schooled. Good manners be your speed. Here comes our wives and let us take our leave. So uh, Glendower said he was going to send them away or let them go away without seeing them. But here they come. Enter Glendower with the ladies. Mortimer, this is a deadly spy that angers me. My wife can speak no English. I know Welsh. Glendower, my daughter, we shall not part with you. She'll be a soldier too. She'll to the wars. Mortimer, good father. Tell her that she and my aunt Percy shall follow in your conduct speedily. Glendower speaks to her in Welsh, and she answers him in the same. Glendower, she is desperate here, a peevish, self-willed harlotry, or one that no persuasion can do upon. The lady speaks in Welsh, Mortimer, I understand her looks. That pretty Welsh, which thou pourest down from those swelling heavens, I am too perfect in, but for shame in such a parley should I answer thee. And she again speaks in Welsh, and they kiss. I understand thy kisses is, thou mine. And that's a feeling disputation, but I will never be a truant love till I've learned thy language for thy tongue makes Welch as sweet as Diddy's highly pen sung by a fair queen in a summer's bower with rav- ravishing division to her lute. Okay, so a little bit interesting to me there that um, uh, Mortimer says that her Welsh, um, it sounds as beautiful as like what a queen would have in a summer bower. We heard before that uh, Percy um sort of flip that image, or maybe Mortimer's flipping it here, um, where he said he'd rather be uh, anywhere um, than, than listen to Glendower, including in a fine summer house. Mortimer. Oh, I'm ignorance itself in this. Glendower. She bids you on the wanton rushes, lay you down, and rest your gentle head upon her lap, and she will sing the song that pleaseth you, and on your eyelids crown the god of sleep, charming your blood with pleasing heaviness making such difference twixt wake and sleep as the difference between betwixt day and night the hour before the heavenly harness team begins his golden progress in the east with all my heart i'll sit and hear her sing by that time will our book i think be drawn glendower do so and those magicians musicians that shall play to you hang in the air a thousand league from hence and straight they shall be here sit and attend so uh, Glendower says he's going to um, send uh, uh, spiritual musicians, I think. Hotspur, come, Kate, now art perfection in lying down. Come quick, quick, that I may lay my head in thy lap. Lady Percy, go, you giddy goose. The music plays. Hotspur, now I perceive the devil understands Welsh and is no marvel he is so humorous. But our lady is a good music- musician, Lady Percy. And should ye be nothing but musical, for you all together, gathered by humors, lay still, you thief, and hear the lady sing in Welsh, Hotspur. I'd rather hear my lady, my, bra- my brack, howl in Irish, uh, Lady Percy. Would thou so have the head broken, Hotspur? No, then be still. Neither tis a woman's fault. Now God help thee to the Welsh lady's bed. What's that? Peace, she sings. And here the lady sings a Welsh song. So they go on like this for a little while. I'll read it next time because this is probably a good place to stop. So until next time, adieu.